Well, good morning. Good to see you all this morning and good to imagine you this morning because obviously I can't see you even though you can see me from, uh, as Mike said, all over Luton but uh, elsewhere uh, around the world. Very gracious of you to have a fairly boring Baptist come on Pentecost Sunday to a Pentecostal church. Gosh, well done you for being so brave uh, and allowing me to talk about this Pentecostal power to which I am so committed, this very exciting passage that we have here. So whether you're in church, the building, or whether you're in church, scattered, wherever you are, you're very welcome this morning as we study God's Word. I love coming to LCF. I just look forward to these Sundays um, with great excitement, I can genuinely tell you that. And I really, really look forward to the day when the church is packed uh, again uh, with uh, every space filled and an opportunity to greet you and to hug you and to just be much more relational than we've been able to be at the moment. So look forward to that great day. You'll know uh, that I have uh, enormous affection for Alan and Kathy over many years and uh, count them as friends. Uh, and I'm really pleased that the Lord has brought Mike and Becky to you and thank God for you and for your calling and for the way you've led the church in this very difficult pandemic time. What a time to come to a church this is. I mean, that is a massive challenge, my friend. May the Lord bless you and your wife and family and equip you uh, for the challenge of navigating some difficult times. And thank God for the team also who, who've just uh, done this so uh, well and all the challenges of COVID safe are just amazing. And uh, good to see Liz leading worship again uh, this morning. Uh, <laughs> Uh, Liz seems to get uh, younger to me rather than older on my visit, so I'm delighted that she's been uh, leading and we've been sharing uh, together. So here we are on Pentecost Sunday. What a great day, the birthday of the church. I'm going back this afternoon actually to Oxford to celebrate uh, uh, with a whole community the birthday of the church. Uh, there are going to be games and a whole range of other things. And uh, it's great because uh, I'm appearing on screen while I'm here. So it's possible to do two things at the same time, celebrating the birthday of the church. You know, the first four books of the New Testament are visible Jesus doing his stuff. And the fifth book of the New Testament is the invisible Jesus doing his stuff. So it's important to see the connection between the two here. You don't see Jesus apart from the first chapter in Acts because the Holy Spirit has come. But don't for a minute think that Jesus is somehow absent and not working and powerful and changing. And so what happens is that the miracles of the Gospels, Jesus healing the sick, raising the dead, casting out demons... Uh, transforming lives, moves over, as it were, as he ascends to the heavenly place in chapter 1, he sort of bestows the Jesus presence to a new group. It's a group actually, miraculously, that's us, <laughs> the church. He bestows us with the Jesus stuff to do. <laughs> Even though he's not visibly present, he is invisibly present and no less real. We've been inundated with news, propaganda, information, good and bad, about a virus. Uh, I don't know whether any of you have ever seen 
COVID-19? I think probably not. Uh, But it's real, uh, and it's caused immense problems around the world. And so although we can't see the Holy Spirit, that doesn't mean he isn't real, isn't powerful, isn't influential. And in fact, I think one of the reasons why Dr. Luke, who wrote the Acts of the Apostles, clothes the narrative of Pentecost with this description of what happened, which is tongues of fire and rushing mighty wind, is that it embodies the Spirit in the way that was unmistakable. So they could actually, for the first time, not just imagine there was a Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit wasn't invented on the day of Pentecost, by the way. The Holy Spirit hadn't been in heaven wondering what to do with himself for all of time, thinking, gosh, it's my time now, the first century. I better pop down to earth. That's not the story. In Genesis, we are told that God said, let us create man." In our own image, there's a fairly confident uh, hint there that inside the Godhead, there are these three persons uh, working out what it means to engage with this being they've just allowed to be created. And, and so it's clear that the Holy Spirit is eternal from the beginning. Pentecost didn't invent him. It simply released him in a different way on the planet which we now occupy. So... Uh, Let me look at some verses with you here. I want to make uh, three simple points uh, this morning. Uh, Simple because that's easier for me to remember, and simple because I hope it's easier for you to remember as we look at uh, all of this. I have been uh, blessed over the years to be uh, the recipient of teaching from uh, academics, from professors, uh, and from, uh, in my youth, from farmers who were committed to preaching the gospel with no academic background. Uh, and I want to tell you, I've learned a lot from both. Uh, one farmer told me once when I was first starting preaching as a teenager, actually, he said, there are only three points to any given sermon. First, you tell them what you're going to tell them. Then you actually tell them. And then you tell them what you've told them. Uh, and so actually, the repetition of that was quite a useful thing for me to hear because people learn, obviously, with uh, uh, repetition uh, at times. So, here we are in Acts chapter 2, verse 5. Now there were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. This is the section immediately after the one that uh, Mike read for us uh, earlier. When they heard this sound, the sound of the wind, uh, they came together in bewilderment. That's actually quite a strong word in in the original, as you might imagine. If you're you're sort of outside a building and inside there's this incredible noise, uh, like there might be if people were drunk. In fact, they thought they were potentially drunk. And then it spills out onto the outside. Of course you were bewildered. What's going on? These are good Jewish people. What on earth is happening here? So it's quite a strong word. And the bewilderment word is because each one heard in their own language being spoken. And they were from all over the ancient world, so it it wasn't just a difference in dialect. Um, Sometimes you'll travel into a different part of the United Kingdom, and and you'll hear someone from the far north of England or Scotland or Wales, and you hear a different accent. And sometimes, if you're like me, you don't catch it the first time. You think, sorry? Sorry? What, what was that? Because their accent's so strong. This is not an issue of accent here. It's language groupings. And they all hear in their own 
language. And then verse 7, in case Dr. Luke hasn't convinced us with the word bewilderment, he uses a different word here and he says, utterly amazed is the next phrase, meaning staggered, absolutely lost for words. This is not some, ah oh, yes, something interesting happening here. It wasn't that reflective. It was, it was a staggering revelation. Aren't all these people Galileans? How are they speaking to us in all our languages? And then Dr. Luke lists the languages. We hear them declaring the wonders of our God in our own tongues. And then notice verse 12, amazed and perplexed. You think Luke's overdoing it here. This is the third time in this chapter he's told us they were staggered by what happens. This isn't my main point actually this morning, but I do want to say this. The church of Jesus is often neglected and rejected. It's often perceived to be irrelevant the word science has appeared almost every day on our TV screens for the last 14 months. We're following the science. We're doing this about science. The word faith has almost never been mentioned on our screens. So we have a big mountain to climb because people think that we are irrelevant to the process. Vaccines are going to solve this. Where's the church in all of this? It's easy for us to be dismissed Here's what I pray for. In fact, uh, your pastor's hinted at it already for this Pentecostal encounter. I pray that the world in Luton and much further afield will, as the Holy Spirit empowers us in these coming years, will be utterly amazed. That, that They'll respond like this, because the Holy Spirit so equips us that we can't help but see his power at work, and others will be utterly amazed. Three times in this chapter, staggered, shattered, bewildered, amazed, struggling with their emotions. I would like the church to move from being ignored for people to be a little bit afraid of it because it's so clearly doing something radical and different. Here are three things that I think this passage says to us about this glorious birthday of the church and the empowering of the wonderful Holy Spirit. First thing is this, when the day of Pentecost came. So, what are they all doing in Jerusalem? <laughs> it's because Pentecost means 50th. It's 50 days after Passover. It's seven weeks into the grain harvest. Seven times seven is... 49, good, I'm glad that LCF you're still up to date with the maths. And then on the 50th day, the next day, is Pentecost. Seven weeks of the grain harvest. Seven weeks and one day since Passover. A great celebration for Jews. Come on, it's party time. Come back to Jerusalem and celebrate this. Most of the world's religions have at least one gathering moment. You'll know that... Uh, during Ramadan, uh, celebrations of Eid and so on, uh, people uh, who are Muslims want to make at least one trip a lifetime back to Mecca. It's not at all unusual for there to be pilgrimages associated with spiritual or religious events. So the Jews hightail it to Jerusalem and celebrate God's presence all the time. Every year they can, they go back for Pentecost. So this isn't an unusual experience. They've been here before. Every year they stay at the same bed and breakfast. They know the local uh, landlady really well. They know the streets. They've been there before. They've made the journey. This is completely ordinary until the Holy Spirit 
arrives in power. And I want to say to you that one of the wonderful things for me about the Holy Spirit is that he baptizes the ordinary and turns it into the extraordinary. He baptizes the predictable and turns it into the unpredictable. He baptizes the predictable, average, ordinary, done it a thousand times before stuff and transforms it into all that he wants it to be as he touches it. And so Pentecost was a shock to the people. Why was it such a shock? Because they'd done it all before. They weren't expecting anything different. You know this, don't you? You've been to somewhere lots and lots of times. You've made the same journey, driven down the same road. How many of you have driven somewhere in the car to a place you regularly go to, and by the time you arrive, you have no recollection of the journey in between? You you must have done that. Yeah, I'm sure sure you have. I do that often because I drive... I drive so far, I, I'm, I'm worried that, that I, anything could have happened and I wouldn't know about it because it's just so ordinary. I do it so much. I, I can just do it in my sleep. You'll be pleased to know. I try not to drive in my sleep, but <clears throat> it's, I've been close to it on a few occasions. The predictability of it. And the great thing about the Holy Spirit here in Acts is that he takes Pentecost, boring, predictable, regular, centuries-old tradition and baptizes it in a fresh touch. So I want to say today, may the Holy Spirit help you and me have the ordinariness of our lives touched by the Spirit in a fresh way. Every meal you eat, every conversation you have, every walk to work and back, every Zoom call, everything that is so predictable in our lives, the Holy Spirit wants to help us to see that we are the invisible Jesus here on earth. So let me touch that in a fresh way. So just encourage you today uh, to know what it is in the ordinary, everyday bits of life. Don't, don't divide your life into a kind of sacred secular divide in, in which there's, there's this stuff over here which I do to earn a living and, you know, I get up, I clean my teeth, I have a shower, I get dressed. I, you know, that, that's ordinary stuff. But when I come to church, that's God's stuff. Now, the Bible has no time for that distinction. Uh, we're to be baptized in the Holy Spirit in order that all of our lives, every bit of it, from parking the car to walking to the shop to teaching our kids to playing games with the children to whatever it is we're doing to know the power of the Holy Spirit in that, to baptize the ordinary and make it extraordinary. So that's, that's, the, that's the first thing. Here's the second thing. In Acts 1... Jesus leaves. He's their best friend. He's helped them through trouble. Every time there's been a difficulty, Jesus has been there to bail them out. And so he goes. And so this 120 crew are bewildered. They're the ones who are bewildered in chapter 1, not the crowd who are bewildered in chapter 2. And so they think to themselves, well, he's gone. And he said we should go back to Jerusalem and wait because a promise is coming. Very hard to wait, isn't it, sometimes? Imagine them there. Jesus has gone. What's going to happen? Waiting's a pretty tricky thing because the time expands depending on how desperate we are for the thing to arrive. So for me to wait 
while I'm busy is no problem at all because the time arrives and it's here before I know it and no problem. But when I was a little boy, I remember every Christmas morning about 4.30, wandering into my parents' bedroom and saying, is it time to open the presents? And they would often say to me, no, it's not time yet. You can tell it's not time because it's dark. When it's light, come back. I go back to bed, uh, having uh, kindly woken my sister to tell her the news. And uh, then after about half an hour, still very bored and awake, I would turn my light on. And I would go back to my parents and I would say, Mum and Dad, it's light now. And they would know I was cheating and come back into my bedroom and turn the light off. Waiting to be able to open my Christmas presents was an agony as a child. Imagine these guys, 120 of them in an upper room. So what are we supposed to do now? Go, Go back to fishing or... Collecting taxes, or should we split up, or what's gone on? I mean, Judas has messed up, and we've got Matthias now, but what's he supposed to do? I mean, we're not sure. The Romans are massively oppressive and dominant force. The Jewish authorities don't uh, want us to be uh, followers of this rabbi because they're serious about their opposition to him. Now what? And suddenly the Holy Spirit comes and the fear is transformed and made into faith and action and life. Can you imagine being in that room? Not just because of the wind and the fire. That's great, of course. Dramatic, fantastic stuff. But because what it did was it drove them out because the people said they were bewildered outside. We don't know where they were, by the way, in this upper room exactly. But clearly they spilled outside because the crowd were aware of it. And so suddenly from huddled ghetto-like into a little uh, band of fearful people, they're now liberated and fear is dispersed and destroyed and joy comes. They can't help themselves, as the passage I read says, to declare the glory of God. They can't help it because fear has been alleviated, anxiety banished, joy replacing it all. So here's the thing. We know that in the last 14 months or so, um, fear has reigned. There may be a pandemic uh, associated with a viral infection, but there's also a pandemic of fear because people are afraid. I see it everywhere, even among really mentally stable, very gifted senior leadership. People are afraid. They're afraid to get near another person. They're certainly afraid to hug another person, even though now the government has given us permission to hug another person. Uh, And it really is bizarre if you think about it. Can you imagine two years ago that you would ever think that the government may or may not tell me I can hug someone? I mean, can you imagine that? It's utterly unthinkable that that would have been the situation. So people are afraid. And there's been massive sense of fear because people are frightened of losing their jobs because as furlough ends later this year, unemployment will be a feature in societal life. Four times as many young people are already seeking treatment for mental health conditions than they were a year ago. In the world, see, lockdown protocols only work in rich societies. If you're a poor society that live hand-to-mouth and have to go out to feed yourself, lockdown means starvation. 150 million extra people, the World Bank says, have been forced into absolute poverty as a result 
of lockdown strategies. Lockdown's fine. I, I, I don't think it's fine, but it, lockdown's possible if you've got the wealth of the civilized nations to provide furlough schemes and so on. But around the world, there's massive fear. Not fear of the virus, by the way. Almost all my contacts in the developing world are hardly afraid at all of the virus, but they are afraid of the lockdown, which has accompanied it. Because they've been dying in the third world, developing world, whatever we call it these days. They've been dying of malaria and a whole range of other things for years. They're much more used to this kind of thing. And, and so they have been less affected by the viral issue and much more affected by Western solutions to the viral issue. And so there's a tremendous sense of fear. People are fearful. Last year, seriously vulnerable people were told to shield by the government. Half of them, even though they were released a while ago, half of them are still shielding. My brothers and sisters, the Church of Jesus needs to be filled with the Spirit to drive back societal fear. We are going to need to model confidence, not stupidity, but confidence in who we are in Christ. We're going to have to lead the way in hugging. I give you permission. The government's already said you can. I don't know what the government means by saying we must hug cautiously. That's a pretty tricky thing, actually. I don't know whether you've noticed that. Uh, hugging someone like this doesn't seem to me any less dangerous than hugging them like this. But anyway, what do I know about anything? We have got to find a way as the church of Jesus to be Pentecostally filled in order to drive back fear in our society because it's everywhere. There are older people in our country, never mind the world, in our country who are never going to go out again. They're going to die without seeing their grandchildren. They're going to die without going out again because they're still terrified. This, this, is not a, this is not me inventing some statistics. This is happening in society after society, community after community. And if you keep on talking about scary variants without much evidence, and particularly when you call them Indian variants, imagine what it's like to be an Indian person, hearing that all the time on the media. And imagine what it's like to feel the racist attacks of those who think you are personally responsible for bringing this. It's horrible for people in those kind of cultural settings. So I think the Holy Spirit, who brilliantly, wonderfully, gloriously delivered them from fear in the first century and set them ablaze with confidence in a good way, so he longs to set us free from fear. And as we emerge from this, June the 21st or whenever, our job will be to be so filled with the Spirit that anxiety dissipates and we model for others a gracious and loving and gentle, for sure, confidence to care for one another. Because if we don't drive back fear, our society will be living with an overabundance of fearfulness, which will result in massive mental health conditions for the next five years. And that's a disaster. Not a disaster just for society. It's a disaster for women and men created in the image of God. And our job is to be part of the fear release for them. So don't be afraid. Be filled with the grace and power of God on this Pentecost Sunday. Baptize the ordinary in the power of the Spirit and allow him to fill you. Baptize the fear with joy and release, just as happened on the day of Pentecost. And then thirdly, the third point, which uh, uh, Mike's already uh, alluded to from Acts 1.8, 
For you will be my witnesses when you've been filled with the Holy Spirit in all these different places. And notice that one of the immediate consequences of Pentecost was a Peter sermon, which he delivers with his usual uh, a blunt fisherman directive style. I love Peter. I love Peter. Open mouth, insert foot. I love Peter. Just blunt, direct, straight on in. If you read the sermon, if you read the sermon as if you were a listener, having just seen Jesus crucified, not so much uh, in the recent past, and you hear him say, oh, and by the way, this person you killed was God's son and it's all your fault. I mean, it's a pretty tough message, actually. It doesn't seem very pastorally sensitive to me. It doesn't seem very gracious, very warm. It's very direct. And he says, look, this is what's happened. Now, why is Peter so direct? He's not that he's just rude as a personality. He's certainly clumsy as a personality. It's not rudeness, this. It's inspired by the Spirit, which has an incredible result. Because if you get to the end of the sermon, verse 37 in chapter 2, when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart, which is an interesting Hebraism, uh, 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 meaning it's as if their whole thoughts and beings was open for all to see. They were, they were, they were suddenly, it's like a scale fell from their eyes. Wow, are you, are you serious? Is that really us? Did we do that? A kind of revelation uh, uh, that something uh, is true, which 10 minutes earlier you didn't believe. And it's a shocking revelation to these folk. What should we do? Peter said, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And this promise is for you, your children, and for all who are far off, which, by the way, is us, because we were far off by 2,000 years, and not just far off, because uh, uh, I've been in two of the locations in Jerusalem where it, it seems maybe it was the upper room context. I, I, don't, I don't know. Well, Jerusalem to Luton is quite a journey, so we are far off geographically as well as historically from these events. With many other words, he warned them and pleaded with them, save yourselves, Those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. Wow. So Pentecost is a baptism of the ordinary into the extraordinary. It's a baptism that deals with fear and anxiety and creates boldness. And thirdly, it is a Pentecostal equipping for mission and evangelism. Clearly, the direct result of the Pentecostal experience for those 120, and specifically the spokesman, Peter, is a gospel message that sees 3,000 change their minds about Jesus and respond to his love. Amazing. And that missional power, that evangelistic energy, that entrepreneurial zeal, which stopped them being introspective and introverted and and incredibly closed off to society, opened them out to saying, this really is the good news. Jesus really is alive. You may have killed him, but that's not the end of it because he was raised from the dead by the Father. And you can participate in that resurrection by joining us, but mainly joining him by being filled with the Holy Spirit yourself. What an amazing offer. That is just incredible offer. 
And so Pentecost Sunday fits perfectly with your emphasis as a church family for May mission because without the power of the Spirit to help us, we're inevitably going to be weakened, circumscribed, truncated, unable to really reach out in the way God wants us to because we need his power to do it. Without the power of the Holy Spirit, we find ourselves very weak, very frail, very human. Now, when we're filled with the Holy Spirit, when we're baptized in his power and and grace, uh, we don't stop being who we are. We're still us with our various gifts and abilities. Some of us naturally by personality, confident, outgoing. Some of us naturally by personality, um, introverted. Just a moment on that. Uh, as I begin to close this morning about personalities, very important this. Um, The Holy Spirit isn't making us clones. We're not supposed to be just a one-size-fits-all. We're not all Peter. 119 of them weren't Peter. That's really important to understand. You see, uh, some of you know me reasonably well after all my visits. I wonder if you think I'm an extrovert or an introvert. I'm going to have a little think about that. Well, actually, I'm an introvert. I draw my energy from uh, alone time, thinking time, praying time, preparation time. Uh, But like many uh, uh, people who stand on public platforms, stand-up comics, uh, politicians, they're all introverts, many of them, but they draw their energy from a kind of public persona. My wife's an extrovert, So if we go to, as we have had to over the years, a number of sort of dinner parties or uh, political gatherings in in Whitehall or Westminster or whatever, she comes with me. She works the room. My wife can talk to anybody about anything at any point on any topic. In fact, she's so good, she doesn't even need a topic to talk. I mean, she's just uber extrovert, right? I find a person I want to talk to and sit in the corner of the room nursing a drink all evening talking to one person. I think it's really important that we don't suddenly think that when the Holy Spirit baptizes us in his grace and power, we all have to become this thing which we imagine is this extroverted, confident character. My brothers and sisters, we live in a world of introverts and extroverts. We live in a world of broken people and sad people. Generally speaking, quieter people filled with the Holy Spirit are much more useful talking to broken people. So the key here is whatever our personality, whatever our type, whether we are the bold, confident Peter or something else, today is the day on Pentecost Sunday to open ourselves up again to a new infusion, filling baptism of the Holy Spirit so that what is ordinary becomes extraordinary so that fear is driven out and becomes boldness and so that gospel mission becomes effective and dynamic in a world which is deeply broken and needs more than ever, I would say, the glorious grace of Jesus Christ, the love of God, the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, the transforming new birth experience the gospel offers. And that will come as churches and individuals experience Pentecostal power today, tomorrow, and 365 days in every year 
serving the Pentecostal God who has revealed himself in Scripture and touched the Scripture with the power of his Holy Spirit. God bless you.